All right, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Thanks for you guys that are joining us online. So we're going to jump in right away. We've got a lot of stuff to cover, but I want to take some time to catch you up. Uh, one, if you haven't been listening to our Revelation series, I just suggest go back, get caught up. You can go on our website. You can go on our app. You can catch up with everything that we've been doing. But we started this Revelation series. This is, I think, week 13 uh, that we've been in it. And the idea was to study the book of Revelations with this in mind, right? So here's what we know about the book of Revelations. It's what is to come in the future, and if we know what's to come in the future, how does that change what we do today, right? So if you know the future, and if you know what is to come, how will that change what you do today? So we went through, we started off uh, right from the beginning of looking at seven churches, and in those seven churches, it gave us a perspective on our own church and perspective on us individually, like what are some things that we need to change. We went into John visited the throne room of heaven, so we got a picture of what the throne room of heaven looked like and not only what it looked like, the idea of what happens when you walk in the throne room, right? Like, what are you looking forward to the moment after you die or what will you do the moment after you die? And obviously we saw that people fell in worship, right? So it was a cool experience to see what the throne room looked like, what people did inside of the throne room. But then we got to this place where it was talking about this scroll, right? So that's where we were at in Revelation 6. The idea that there was a scroll and the scroll was Jesus essentially to come back and take what was rightfully his, which is this earth, because Satan has been reigning on this earth since Jesus was away. This was an opportunity for him to come back. But as soon as he started opening up the scroll, there were seven seals on the scroll. It was essentially the beginning of the end. Right, So in it, I want to recap what we're trying to get done in the midst of studying Revelation 6 and Matthew 24 and 25, because I don't want it to be lost in context. So what we're trying to do, Revelation 6 was the opening of the seven seals or the opening up of the six seals. We're going to be getting to the seventh seal. But the idea was you should look for these signs knowing that the end of the age is coming, meaning Jesus is going to come back. And the big emphasis was, you better be ready, right? So you better be at a place where you know that if those things are starting to happen, and if you're looking around the world today and you're saying, oh, well, here's a sign that the end of the age is coming, then you should probably make sure that you're ready. For a lot of people, this was the biggest question, right? Am I ready? Or how do I even know that I'm ready? Anybody like, how do I make sure? Because we don't want to get to the end of your life. You don't want to get to the place where you stand in front of Jesus. And you're like, I don't know if I'm really ready. So Matthew 24, Jesus does this same thing. So in Matthew 24, Jesus parallels Revelation 6 when he says, through the Olivet Discourse, here's the signs of the end of the age. But the big difference is this, is as he tells you, same thing, you need to be prepared, you need to get ready. But here's what he says. I'm going to tell you stories about people who were and stories about people who weren't, right? And emphasizing what I'm assuming most of us already know, but I want to make sure that we get this. Lots of people sitting in churches today on a Sunday morning, right? Lots of people professing to be Christian people today, sitting in church, worshiping, maybe watching online, worshiping. Here's the reality of what Scripture says, Many of those people, when the end comes, Jesus coming back or the end of your life, will stand in front of Jesus and he will look you in the eyes and say, away from me, I don't know who you are. That's a reality. 
right? And I know it's a reality that we don't want to face, but it's a reality that Scripture says. Many people are going to stand in front of Jesus, professing Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is going to look at him and say, away from me, I don't even know who you are. Now, so if that's the case, Jesus would say, I want to make sure you're not one of those people. Amen, right? Like I want to make, Jesus says, I'm going to give you some stories so that you can't get to the end and say, well, I didn't really know what it really looked like or I didn't really know where I was at until I got to the end. He's going to say, I'm going to give you some stories. And inside of these stories, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I ready? Right? That's the emphasis of all of these stories. The emphasis of what we looked at last, last week, the, the parable of the ten virgins. Are you ready? Right? And you needed to look at your life and say, Am I ready? Am I prepared? Well, the same thing that we're going to look at in Matthew 25 today is also a parable, right? A parable about are you ready, right? And in this parable, and this is what I want you to open up your heart to, okay? Because I don't want you to get caught up in this, well, you know, it just doesn't make any sense because it almost makes it sound like salvation is works-based and I don't know, you know, where this ends up. What I want you to look at this this whole message today and what we're doing in the preparation is just this. If you had to ask yourself the question, like it is inside of the parable, are you ready or are you not ready? Because here's where you'll miss it. And I've said this a hundred times. Too many times people come on a Sunday morning and they'll be like, wow, that was convicting. And then Monday comes and nobody really cares. Honestly, Right? And then how it works, like, wow, you sit around the table when you get home, like, that was a convicting message, and it really spoke to me. And then you get to Monday, and be like, what did we talk about again? Because it really didn't change anything. The idea of these parables were to say, these are tests, right? You need to evaluate yourself based on the test, and then you need to do something about it to change. Because if you don't, like, this is what he's trying to tell you, and the end is near, or the end is coming, and you stand in front of Jesus, I'm going to give you a very clear picture of people who aren't ready. Right? And if you're not ready, this is what it looks like. All right, so let's go to Matthew 25, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 30. And again, this is how we're going to be looking at it, from the perspective of a parable, knowing that a parable is a story to teach. Right? So when we read a parable, it's a story. Obviously, the story isn't true, but the story is made to teach you something and not only teach you something, but to give you some insight of what you should do after you understand the story. Okay? So in the story, this is what it says, Matthew 25, uh, starting in verse 14. He says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his then he went on his journey. So the first part of the parable is to understand who's in the story, right? Pretty simple to understand who the master is, right? So the master is Jesus, right? Then he says he entrusted his wealth or his stuff to his what? His servants, right? So it starts off with, if you remember back in Matthew 24, this whole mindset shift that had to happen, if you're going to be a professing Christian, you have to undersell and understand yourself as a servant, right? Like you have to understand that there is always a master and there is always a servant, right? And that if you are a servant, right, that you always be about the master's business, right? That, that's what he's trying to say. So here is the master, the master 
you know, obvious in the story. He's going away, but he's coming back. But in the midst of that, he entrusts his stuff with the servants. Now, here's the important part. You're going to see this in the story. But it doesn't distinguish the servants as being any different. So what he's trying to paint you a picture is just like he did with the ten uh, virgins. The ten virgins look the same on the outside, right? Nobody could tell any difference. They were all identified as virgins. And so that story was to remind us that there are going to be people that are professing Christian people. They're all going to look the same. Five are ready and five weren't. Well, this story is the same way. Three of them are servants, two of them ready, and one isn't, right? So in this story, remember, this story is talking to everybody sitting in this room that would profess themselves as a Christian person, okay? Because that's who he's saying. The, the master goes away. He's entrusted it to people who call themselves a professing Christian person. And inside of that, he says, I'm going to entrust my stuff to you. Now, here's going to be the important part. There's a big deal, and you're going to see it as it comes up through the story. When the master goes away and he says that he entrusted his stuff with us, we have to remember the commodity, right? Because sometimes we get goofed up on this. We're looking at a story that's talking about bags of gold. But when he says he's leaving and we're his servants and he's entrusting us with his stuff, what's his stuff that matters? People. The only thing that matters at the end, right? The only thing that's not going to burn up at the end of your life. So I'm going to entrust you with the commodity that matters to me. This is what the master would say. The commodity that matters to God or the commodity that matters to Jesus in the end is people. So I'm going to entrust you with my people. And here's the other thing. I'm going to give you ability, right? I'm going to give you or entrust you to you based upon your ability. Here's why that's so important. One is because we all have different abilities. Isn't that great? Right? Nobody has to compare themselves to anybody else. Nobody has to say, well, I got to be like the guy that has five bags. I got to be the guy that does this or does that. He's saying everybody gets different talents or, different, or is entrusted with different things based upon their ability. But here's the other part. Okay? You don't get a pass for not reaching people. You don't get a pass with taking what was entrusted to you and saying somebody else should do it. He says, I've given ability based upon, you know, I've given you stuff based upon your ability, but everybody has an ability. Are we all tracking? Yes. So this is why this is important. You know how many times I've heard people say, well, I can't really reach people because I'm an introvert. Okay, you don't have an excuse. Well, I don't, can't really reach people because I'm not around anybody that's lost. Not an excuse. Are we tracking? But you don't get an excuse. There is no excuse. You were given an ability, right? That ability was given to you so that you could change the commodity in which is on this earth, which is people. So just use your ability. Yeah, you don't have to be the guy that sits on stage. You don't have to be even the guy that, you know, talks to a lot of people, but you should be able to talk to one. Right? You should be able to take opportunities for once. We can't use, because I've heard this in the course of doing ministry for the past 25, 26, 27 years, whatever it's been, I've always heard this excuse. Well, you got the people that reach people, and then you got the people that just support the people that are reaching people. Nah, you know what that sounds like to me? Like you just don't want to do it. Right? Let it up to somebody else. 
right? And then once somebody else does it, then I'll just come alongside. I don't know that that's the way that it works. I don't know that when God set up this whole system and and decided the way that it should work, that he exempts people from making disciples, right? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. It's not just reaching them. It's making disciples, right? It's not just talking to them, but it's making disciples. So again, we see in there that the responsibility that every one of us have it, okay? So I want to make sure that's clear before we move on. Everybody in this room understands that in this parable, the one thing that it's teaching is you have a responsibility and you're, going to, you're entrusted with a stewardship of God's stuff and you don't get an excuse. Age isn't an excuse. Personality type isn't an excuse. If you profess to be a Christian person and the end, your day of reckoning happens, your day of reckoning, this idea of what you should be doing on this earth at the end of your life doesn't matter how old you are and doesn't matter how long you've been here, doesn't matter how much you know about the Bible, and it doesn't matter your personality type. You will be about God's business. God's business is about people. We all good? Nobody gets an excuse? Okay, so let's move on and see what he says then uh, later on in the parable in verse 16. Verse 16 says this. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also to the one who had two bags of gold and gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So now, understanding responsibility. Everybody in this room would understand responsibility, but people will react differently to understanding responsibility, right? So he's saying in a room of people like this, just like it was with them, people are going to react differently to the responsibility that they have. So the responsibility is to to be a servant to God, to reach people, to be able to take care of those people. Some people are going to understand the expectations, right? The first two did, right? The first two clearly understood the expectation in which God had, right, that the master had, right? We know that, don't we? How do we know that? Because they multiplied the stuff. Right away, they took the bags of gold, and what did they go out and do? Multiplied it. They knew the expectation, right? Same with the guy that got two bags. Didn't matter that one got five and one got two. He knew the expectation. If I got something from the master, I need to invest it and multiply it, right? If I got five, if I got two, if I got three, didn't matter. They knew the expectation. That's why it's really hard for me sometimes with Christian people when you talk to them about this whole idea of investment and multiplication, because that's what this parable is teaching you. This parable is teaching you that a Christian's responsibility on this earth is to invest and multiply, right? Not to profess, just profess faith, right? And this is where it gets, you know, somewhat confusing because it makes it almost sound like that this idea is... um, works-based to a certain extent, you know what I mean? Like, I got to do these things or, you know, I got to, you know, because one did and one didn't. But here's what I want you to see. This is more about a test, right? So here's what he's saying to you. Don't think of it like salvation. He's saying, you want to know if you're, if you, you're right or wrong? You want to know if you're on the right side or the wrong side? If you want to know that if you stand in front of Jesus, if he's going to say, I know you and welcome in, good and faithful servant, here's your test. Are you investing and are you multiplying? This is your test, right? This is what you need to think about. Now, I want to make sure that we understand this. There is a huge difference between relationships and investment, okay? 
Investment that leads to multiplication is what this is talking about, not just relationships, okay? And we know this because think about it in this way. Like when I was the defensive coordinator at Huntington and coached kids, like this is what you know about coaching. There are people that know X and O's and there are people who can teach X's and O's, right? There are people that know the game but can't teach the game, right? And part of the reason they can't teach the game is they don't know how to invest into kids, You know what I mean? Because no kid is going to listen to somebody who has not invested into them. Amen for anybody who's watched a coach like that, right? Like this just happens. Like if you're not going to invest into these kids, if you're not going to spend time with these kids, you're not going to be able to, doesn't matter how well you know how to coach the game, you're going to have to invest in them, right? You're going to have to do that. And when you do, this is what's so cool, if you invest, then you're going to see multiplication, right? You're going to see it. Are we all, does this analogy make sense, right? If you, no, just for Ashton. Ashton's sitting there like, I got it. Anybody else, right? Like you invest, then you watch the team work. You know whether your investment has worked or not because you've taken what you know and you've multiplied it into 5, 10, 15, 20 players and you're watching it happen out on the field, right? So you could easily say, I invested and I multiplied, right? We, we would understand that. That's why it's hard for me sometimes when we look at Christian people and I'd be like, tell me about your investment and tell me about your multiplication. They're like, well, uh, I don't really know. Well, how, how is it that we don't know, right? Like, how is it that we don't know what our investment is, right? Because we know this naturally. Like, if you want uh, parents, grandparents, just for a second, if you want your daughter to become a woman of God. What do you know that you have to do with her? You have to invest, right? You can't just be like, I want you to be a woman of God. You should be a woman of God. I want you to grow up like a woman of God. This is what a woman of God does. And you can say it on a list, but if you do no investment, what's going to happen? It ain't going to happen, right? Or just guys, we can say this all the time. We want our men to, you know, we want our boys to grow up to be men. And, you know, you're mad when they're not men. And you're just like, you're acting like a boy. And they're like, you know, I'm acting like a boy because nobody's taught me anything different. No one's taught me how to be a man. Nobody's invested in me when it comes to being a man, right? Like the idea is we know this intuitively. We know intuitively if you want somebody to become something, multiply, right? If you want to multiply, you have to invest. If you're not going to invest, you can't have multiplication. So we know that that's the way that it works in the world. But think about it from a Christian perspective, because now that's what he's saying to you. From a Christian perspective, he's saying, you know what's going to matter in the end? What's going to matter in the end, the day of reckoning coming, the things that are going to happen is if you invested and if your investment multiplied. Right? Like, that's what he's saying. Like, he's got, did you invest? Because I've said this to people. You know, I was talking about the difference between relationships and investment. A lot of times in ministry or a lot of times in the world today, this is what we see people do. We see a lot of people that will have a lot of relationships, but very little investment. Anybody? Right? Like, you're going to meet with a lot of people. You're going to talk with a lot of people. You're going to socialize with a lot of people. You're going to check it off the list. You know what I mean? Like, like you get to this place where it's like there's so many people and you come to a message and they're like, you need to really be with people. And then all of a sudden you fill your calendar with a bunch of people and then you checked it off the list because you had coffee with them, right? Or you met with them or you talked with them. But you realize there's a big difference between just talking with somebody and investing in them. 
right? Like we understand that there's a huge difference that goes with that. And so scripture's telling us, make sure that you understand this because there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna be in relationship. A lot of people that can hang out with people. A lot of people, even, you know, just like it is with kids. There are gonna be a lot of parents that raise their kids that never invest in them. Anybody that's raising kids? Because you know how hard, it's easier to raise kids than it is to invest into them. Because all you have to do is just keep them out of trouble, keep them from killing each other. Like, that's part of raising them. You know how much time it takes to invest into them? Come on, parents, right? It's, it ta- yeah, a lifetime, exactly. It takes a lifetime to be able to get it done. It, but we've fallen into this philosophy at times. It's like, it's not just about, it's not investment. It's about relationship and let's be friends and you want to get lunch and you want to do these things and you want to hang out. And I'm like, investment, investment, investment. If you want your daughter to be a woman of God, if you want your son to be a man of God, then you have to specifically invest into them with the expectation that it will multiply, right? And I'll give you a little like, and this would be for all of us. So part of the test, do we know if we're investing and multiplying? Here's, here's a test for you. So parents, if you're investing into your kids, here's, a, here's a, what I would say a tell or something that would show whether we're doing it in the right way or if they're getting the understanding of it. If we're investing into our kids, then our kids are also investing into the lives of their friends and care about whether or not they're saved. Because remember the multiplication piece? Like you can teach your kids to read the Bible, but if your kids don't care about, you know, other people's salvation, are we really doing what we need to do? I mean, don't get me wrong. Please teach them to read the Bible. Like we want them to read the Bible, but you know what that should produce, multiply, is a heart for the lost, a heart for their friends, right? Yes, like it should produce a heart for your friends. Like you read the Bible, you learn the Bible, it should be like, I care about my friends, and part of that multiplication, part of our job as parents is to help our kids reach their friends. First is to teach them to care. Because it's easy to, it's a lot of times in the world today, we don't, our kids don't necessarily care about their friend's salvation, they just care about what their friends think. Right? And so we help them work through the idea of what your, your friends think of you instead of understanding like what we really care about. That's fine, we can work through all that stuff, but what I want you to really care about is do you know that your friend today that you love is going to hell? And so how can I help you reach him? What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever it takes. See, that's the investment and in multiplication, but do you know how much time that takes? Do you know how much money that takes? But do you know what you're gonna be held accountable for at the end? that. So you want the test. How are we doing? There's a test. Same concept. People who are meeting with people. So take it out of the the, the idea of parents meeting with kids or parents investing kids. How about you personally? If if somebody came to you today and said, I want to talk to you about your investment. Who are you investing into? And this would be this whole idea of you're investing in them and we would be doing the father's business. What is the father's business? We're making disciples right? What, do, what happens with disciples? We reach them, we teach them, and we send them back out to do what? Reach more people. Like that's the whole idea of making disciples. So my question is for you, if we went through and you evaluated all of your relationships today, how's your disciple making going? Not how many relationships you have, not how many meetings you have, how's your discipleship making going? Who are you meeting with with the specific idea that 
I want to create a disciple. I want to see this person not just be in a meeting to have coffee, not just to have lunch, but I want to see them understand they too have a responsibility. Because you know what part of the problem is? The world's told Christian people there is no responsibility. When you're mentoring, you're mentoring them, you want to tell them the first thing we need to tell them? You have a responsibility. And you're going to be held accountable. And there will be a day of reckoning for your responsibility. That's the first thing we need to tell them. Right? Don't get caught up in this idea because you know what we see in the third person? Right? The first two people, they clearly understood the expectation. Right? Grab the bags, multiply. You know, I know that there's going to be a day where the master's coming back, so I'm going to be a good servant. It's about the master's business, and they're just going to go down the road. What happened to the third guy? You know, the third guy was like, yes, I am a servant, went and buried it, and then went and did his own thing. Right? Then he went about his own business. But when he needed to pull this out for identity, he pulled it out. Is this not the story of the Christian faith sometimes with people? I'm a believer on Sunday. Buried on Monday, put it all away because it's too messy to be a Christian during the week. I'm going to put it all away. I'm going to go out and do my own thing. But when I need to pull that bag of gold up again, I'm going to pull it up and see. see you see me? You see who I am? I'm a Christian and I'm a servant and I'm God's and I raise my hands and I do all those things. And then you go bury it again and nothing ever changes. And you know what cha doesn't change for you or doesn't change for people? You don't care about multiplication and you don't care about investment. You know what you care about? You. I know it's hard to hear, but isn't it true? Because the natural tendency of a person who understands they have a master and we are a servant would say, well, this is yours. I already know what your expectation is. Not to profess with my mouth that I am saved and do nothing. I already know what you want from me. I know you want me to invest. I know you gave me ability. So if I do those two things, I know multiplication will happen. We shouldn't have to worry about whether multiplication will happen or not happen, right? Did you have to worry about that? You, should, you shouldn't. Why? You have the power from the person that created the universe living in you, number one. Who is already working ahead of you, number two. And he's given you the ability to be able to do it. So all you have to do is say, okay, I'm going to invest. I don't know how it's all going to turn out. I don't know the way it's going to work, but I am going to invest. And I guarantee if you do those things, multiplication will happen. The thing that the, the third servant missed was this idea that I have any responsibility on this earth. All I really care about is when the master comes back, I can just give him his gold back. And I know that, you know, it's hard to correlate together, but that's why Jesus was saying the big deception inside of Christianity today and why so many people are going to stand in front of him and he's going to say, I don't know you, because a lot of people are living like the third servant. I got the bag of gold. Anybody want to know? I'll tell you I got the bag of gold. I got the bag of gold back when I was this age and, you know, I filled out a sheet of paper and I said it and I went to the front and I did it and then you went and hid it and you haven't done anything with it. Here's all he's saying. This is your test. If there is no investment and if there is no multiplication, just so we're on the same page together, we're failing the test. Right? which is okay because you get to switch it. You get to do something different. You get to move to a different direction. You know? and, and again, we go through times where we do this right and we do this wrong. And 
But at the end of the day, we should still see this idea of investment. Because here's what I'm going to tell you about investment. And this is a personal thing. You can ask my kids this. I'm terrible at it. You know why I'm terrible at it? Because I'm in a hurry. You know, somebody asked me the other day, like, can your kids back a trailer? I'm like, no, they can't back a trailer. I'm like, you know why they can't back a trailer? Because I'm in a hurry and I can back the trailer. <laughs> Anybody else raising kids, right? Like, it's way harder to say, hey, Isaac, just jump in and I'll watch you back the trailer. You know, and you can do it 100 times and it'll just be okay while you keep missing. You know, and we're just going to be like, try again, try again. That's what should happen, right, with my son. Should it not? Isaac, you can shake your head because you know I'm terrible at it, right? <laughs> I talk to my kids, and this is why. The only reason I'm telling you this story, my kids will profess to this. This is what happens in my life. I get in a hurry. And it's way easier to get things done than it is to invest. And I get in a hurry with people, right? Like I did... I've seen this in my own life. Like there's so many people at this church now and so many people want to meet with me and I just spread myself thin and I have all of these meetings but at the end of the day I have no investment. What good is that? Right? You see this happen in ministry all the time. This is something they have to be on guard. Like how many people in my position have lost their family because they met with everybody at the church but they didn't invest into their family? Right? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's just way easier to have 100 meetings than it is to invest into the people that are sitting right around you because it takes so much time. But here's what we have to remember. This test that he's putting out there, this, this is to reveal inside of us what's broken. And you know what's broken in a lot of us? We're just trying to hurry up and get through life. That's what we're doing. We're just trying to get to the next day and get to the next day and get to the next day and check things off the list and get to the end of it. And at the end of it, we're looking at it. And, and a lot of times in our life, we met with a lot of people, we talked with a lot of people, but how many people did we invest in? Right? And so he's saying this is going to be the test for you and the things that we need to understand about it. Then he goes on and he says in verse 19, And after a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts with them. So this is the day of reckoning, right? So in the day of reckoning, this is what he's trying to tell each one of you. And I know it's going to be hard for you to understand because this isn't like um, you're going to get up to heaven and he's going to put a scale up there and you're going to put how many good things you did and how many bad things you did and it's going to weigh it out. And, you know, if you have more good than bad, you're going to go into heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the settling accounts idea is to say, true professing Christian people that are doing things right, if I look at the settling of their account, I will see they took my stuff and multiplied it, right? I will see that they multiplied themselves into other people, and we will see the account of how that worked with other people, right? So you're going to be able to see those types of things, and you're going to be able to see it through the test or through the things that, that we're doing in our life. So here's what I would say to each one of us, right? Think of it this way. If you can't today, right? So we know that this should happen, right? If somebody's running a business, you know, so if Thaddeus was running a business and he was going to go away for a month and he was going to entrust it to somebody else to run it and he had an expectation of what that person, when Thaddeus comes back, he expects that person to give an account for what they did. 
How did they do? How much business did they do? Did they build it? Did they make money? You know, he expects it. Like, he's going to be away. I gave an expectation. When it comes back, that expectation should be met, and I should be able to say easily, I did this, 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 and this, and this is how it works, right? In the Christian world today, that's where I was saying, you know why it's so weird? Because I think if you would go up to Christian people today and say, tell me who you're investing into and show me the fruit. I'm going to settle the account. Let's settle the account today. Let's sit down, let's settle your account. Just like you were going to stand in front of Jesus. Young or old, let's settle your account. Who is your investment and what's your multiplication? You knew what the expectation was. Let's settle your account up today. I think a lot of people would be like, uh, uh, well, I mean, I, uh, is anybody? Don't you think it would be hard for people to really know who they're investing into and how it's multiplying? Maybe not for everybody, but I think a lot of people struggle with that. Like, who am I investing in and how is it multiplying? Like, here is the fruit of what's going on. But here's what we need to know. That's what he's trying to get you to do on this earth before it's too late. Right? And that's what he talks about next. So what he talks about next is in the settling of that account, we can see how he responds to it. Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought, five, uh, brought the other five. Master, he said... Uh, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. The reply then, right? So the settling of the account. This is how Jesus replied to him. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Same concept, verse 22. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained Two more. Again, the response for the reckoning. He says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now we get to the third person in day of reckoning. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you, right? So here's his response. He still had the bag of gold, right? So I want you to start thinking about this. So you looked at these, these people on their day of reckoning. They took the bags and they multiplied them. Well done, good and faithful servant, okay? Here comes the guy with the one bag. What did he do wrong, right? I mean, he didn't sin. I mean, think about this from a biblical perspective. Did this guy sin? Did he spend the money the wrong way? Did he spend it on prostitutes? Did he go out and give it away? Did he lose it? I mean, in the idea of a, in our idea of Christianity, did this man sin? No, right? But listen to the response on his reckoning. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. See, this is the part that I think we miss. At the end of the day, the wicked and lazy servant that you're going to see here in just a second, professing Christian person that was called wicked and lazy is going to be thrown into a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because the sin of doing nothing with what God gave you is a big deal. And I think we miss that. Anybody? 
But I think you missed this whole idea of the seriousness of God gave you an ability, wants you to invest, and wants to see you multiply, and that if you don't, there's probably a good chance that you are truly not a believer. Now that, again, that gets harsh, that gets hard to hear, but I'm just saying it's good to hear now, right? It's better to hear today inside of this because I think, back to the investment part, so I'll just use this, so the people that you're investing in and your kids, think about this for just a second. And don't get me wrong, if you know me, you'll understand this. Like, I think we should be teaching our kids to read the Bible. I think we should be teaching our kids not to cuss. I think we should be teaching our kids, like, morality. We're all good with that? Like, don't get me wrong when I say this. But at the end of the day, if we don't teach our kids to reach other people and they're just morally better standing there with a bag of gold with no multiplication, what have we taught them? Yeah, at the end of the day, think about this. But what is our greatest desire as parents sometimes is to have good kids, right? And we define good by being morally right, right? Now, this would say we already understand we should make them morally right, but do you understand in the eyes of God, morally right is not important as understanding your purpose on this earth? That I think he would rather see kids that make mistakes with their mouth once in a while or make mistakes morality once in a while but is out trying to reach their friends than somebody that's living in this perfect rigid world who never swears and never drinks and never does anything but they also don't give a crap about their friends but we teach right like we teach our kids focus on this and focus on this same thing not just our kids think about the rest of us what are we focused on Making people better or teaching them and investing them how to reach people and multiply themselves and the betterness will work its way out. Right? Like we want to help you get better, but at the end of the day, I want you to help you reach people. I want to make sure that you're making a difference because here's what I know. On the day of reckoning, when we stand in front of Jesus, we know that you have to give an account for what you did. And the only thing that's going to matter at the end is not whether you sweared less or drank less, but whether you reached people, right? That's what he's saying. Like, it's going to make a difference inside of that. So the worship team is going to come back up. I'm going to give you this last part of the scripture and kind of give you a thing to think about. Now, here's the other thing that we're going to be doing. We're going to be taking communion together, which is an also awesome to be able to go with what we're doing today. But he ends it with, okay, I've, I've showed you what the picture looks like. I've given you the story to teach you that you need to invest and that you need to be able to multiply. I've given you the picture of like what reckoning will look like and what will matter at the end and what my expectations are. And then he says, but let me clear it up or let me, let me end it with this. Like what will your reward look like? Right? So in the end of it all, what will reward look like in verse 28? So take the bags of gold from him. This is talking about the wicked and lazy servant. Take the bags of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For our has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, I think this is difficult to process, but we have to look at it. The greatest sin 
of the third servant was doing nothing. And that sin of doing nothing, Scripture tells us, that person will be thrown where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Eternally separated from God in a place called hell, not for living a bad life, but for doing nothing. Right? Like, I think that's something we have to think about. Because the expectation, this is, this is what we'll go back to. Here, you know what the expectation is? This is what he says. This is the question that he's asking in Revelation 6, Matthew 24. Are you ready? If he came back today and he settled your account, what would your account look like? Right? That's the test. If the account was to be settled today, if the end of your life was today, and you had to stand in front of Jesus and it's like, give an account. And the account understanding is based upon this idea of investment and multiplication. Are we ready? And if you're not, what are you going to do about it? What needs to change? What needs to slow down? What in the, the story of your life needs to become less important so this can become important? Because to say, you know what, everything's important, <laughs> right? Like everything in life's important, but you're going to have to figure out what's most important if you want to invest. And you're going to have to narrow it down to what's most important in your life. And so what is it? If we're not ready, that's okay. Let's get ready. Right? Let's get to the place where we are ready. Let's position ourselves so we can change the things that need to change, so we can invest the way that we need to invest. Because I don't want for any of us to be at a place where you were caught off guard or you were deceived, right? Where you came to the place where you didn't know. Because now we know, right? Now we know, like this idea of a servant and what we should be doing inside of that. So this is going to be my challenge. We're going to take communion together. And remember that this is why we take communion. So Jesus at the Passover meal said, this is what we're going to be doing from now on, and I want you to do it often, and this is the reason that I want you to do it. I want you to do it in remembrance of me. I want you to remember this. This is for everybody in the room that professes themselves to be a Christian person. I just didn't die on the cross for you. I died for other people. My blood wasn't just shed for you. It was shed for other people. Right? This remembrance of the price that was paid isn't selfishly just for you, right? It's for everybody but it's remembering the price that was paid. Body that was broken beyond human recognition, why? Yes, so you can have the gift of salvation, but also so that you can give it to other people. Right, that's the idea. You need to remember this, and, and when we do it, and, and it's a reminder of what we should be doing, and, and that your life was bought at a price, and that we should get on track, and we need to get, get with the program and do the things that we need to do, and we need to evaluate our own life, right? That's the other part that it says. Today, we're going to take a, couple, a minute or so before you take communion to just take a chance to take an inventory, and I'd ask you to just think about that today. If you had to give an account, what would it look like? Don't excuse your age, your whatever excuse that you have. If you had to give an account today, young or old, you'd stand in front of Jesus, you had to, to, to settle up, what would it look like? And, and if it can move inside of you and says, like, if you can confirm, like, I'm right, then we can celebrate through all this together. If we're not where we need to be, then let's change it. In this time of preparation, and then he says, then you can come together, and when the communion tables are open, that we can take communion together, and we can be reminded that it's thankful that in our failures that Jesus Christ died 
for each one of us. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a moment to, to, to prepare, and then Corinne will open up the communion table. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be together and to process, that you'll give us a window or a picture into um, this idea of, of being ready. I know it's difficult to hear sometimes, but also know that I'd rather hear it today on this side of eternity of the things that need to change in my life and the things that I need to do better in my life and how I need to, to invest with the purpose of multiplication. Lord, and I'm trusting that it's through your power and the ability that you gave each one of us in this room, Lord, that we will be uh, useful for you. Lord, I pray that as we take communion together that we too will process what it meant for us and that how uh, you bought our life for a price and that we can then turn around and be thankful but also give that to other people. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would all please stand as we sing this last song together. We've heard the revival stories of ancient and old time glory. Spirit of God, come do it again. And miracle working power, moving in signs and wonders. Spirit of God, come do it again. And prepare Ready for more. Fire, fire. 
unlock the doors. We're ready for more, ready for more. Of ancient and old time glories and spirit of God come to it again. So it's good to end just that way. Like, here's the deal. Ready or not, this is the whole thing in the last couple of ready or not, God's moving. Right? Ready or not, he's coming. Ready or not, the Holy Spirit's falling. The question is, are you ready? Right? And as a church and as a people, we want to be a people that are ready. We want to be a people that are not only ready, we're coming for the fire to fall, for the Holy Spirit to come in, for God to push back the doors into places that's never been in this community, never been in this world before, that we want to be a part of that revival. You know, and we want to see those things happening, and we can see it and we can be a part of it because we're ready, right? And so as a church, may we continue to pray that he does break down the walls, that the fire does fall, and that we can be a part of the revival, and we can be a part of changing that world. So thanks for being here with us this week. Thanks for joining us online, and we'll see you guys next week.